Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm Rena Gleaser. Welcome back. Today's guest is Margaret Richards from Hush Blackwell. Margaret spoke to us from Kansas City, where she is based. We discussed her career and role at the firm, its pro bono program, how pro bono fuels her soul, that's a great phrase of hers, and more. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Margaret. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be part of the podcast. Let's jump right in. Tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, where you went to school, how you became you. Okay. Gosh, it's, uh, I guess it's interesting as to where I want to start. Um, so my family's originally from Chicago uh, and relocated to Montana when I was pretty little. Um, and so to go from you know, the the big bright city, big city of Chicago to kind of a small town in Montana was an adjustment, but luckily I was pretty little. So um, grew up in Montana, was raised there uh, in a family with four brothers uh, and very hardworking parents. Um, so from there, um, I moved to the Leavenworth, Kansas City area and attended a Catholic university out here. Um, that really just emphasized core values of service, justice, respect. Um, and that really just kind of continued to inspire me as I went on my career journey. Um, and then after a few years of working here in the Kansas City area after college, moved to Lansing, Michigan, um, which was a little bit closer to where my older brothers live. Um, so I had an opportunity to kind of spend some more quality time uh, with them and, and was up there for law school. So that's sort of what got me to kind of uh, initially becoming a lawyer and how I got that far. So so let's dig a little deeper into that. Why, why did you become a lawyer? Yeah, so, um, you know, it wasn't something that I had this lifelong dream of. Um, I didn't have any family members that were lawyers, so I wasn't really quite sure what to expect. And so after college, I knew... Um, I knew there was another career path for me, you know, coming out of school, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, um, but I was sure that I didn't want to take on a lot more school debt. And so I kind of uh, considered some different opportunities to sort of figure out what the next steps were and got the opportunity to work for a firm here in Kansas City um, just to get a real insight as to what the legal practice was all about. Um, So I worked for about three years. Uh, as a paralegal and just fell in love with the whole uh, experience. And um, that's sort of what solidified, like, this is it. I want to be a lawyer and I want to go to law school. So um, just really having that really in-depth career experience before I dove right into law school um, was what really inspired me to take the plunge and, and go off to school. So... My sense is that's become a bit of conventional wisdom, right? Advising people, go out, get some real-world experience, be really sure this is what you want to do, especially given the cost of a legal education these days. There aren't so many uh, babies like me who went straight straight through that. I've had eras kind of come and right. gone. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> thanks to our expert crack research team, we found that you've said that, direct quote from you, pro bono fuels your soul. I love that line. What do you mean by that? Um, you know, I think that ultimately as a practicing attorney uh, over, you know, I spent about 10 years practicing, a little over 10 years practicing, and just wasn't really fulfilled. And when I think back as to the cases that 
really, truly made the biggest difference in my life and made me feel like I was making a difference in other people's lives was my pro bono work. Um, And so I think that ultimately is kind of the career path I chose to take um, after being a practicing attorney for a while is this stuff fuels my soul and I I need to make this my full time um, focus. So yeah, it just keeps me going. It, you know, there's, there's work that um, feeds our bodies and keeps the house over our head. And then there's work that feeds our souls. And I think being able to be part of the pro bono world uh, certainly feeds my soul. So let's talk a little bit about your career journey and how did you get to Hush Blackwell? Yeah, so as I was just saying, you know, I I spent the first um, 10 years or so of my practice as a litigator, um, and although I did some transactional and regulatory work over the years, primarily in the environmental arena, Um, and just, uh, but during that time, I always had, always made time for pro bono. And the last year or so of my practice um, just wasn't feeling quite fulfilled. And and I knew sort of what the future um, looked like moving forward to the hierarchy of the law firm and just knew that's not where I wanted to be, that I kept being drawn back to my pro bono work and, again, how it fueled my soul, right, and how I felt so much more fulfilled doing that work. Um, And so I just spent a lot of time soul searching that last year and, okay, how do I transition uh, into a career that's so much more focused on social justice and access to justice issues and and to make that happen. Um, And so luckily for me, Hush Blackwell had decided about that time to create a full-time director of pro bono services position. Um, They had somebody in this role who was just amazing before I got here, but she wore many, many different hats. And so um, when she took an opportunity at another firm, Hush decided um, they wanted somebody committed to doing the pro bono work here at the firm full-time and really just sort of directing and and managing that program full-time. So it opened this huge door for me and really set that fit that Um, fulfilled that need that I was looking for to be able to do this work full time. That's awesome. And we'll do a shout out to Jenny Schwindeman. She (laughs) left a good legacy for you. And I remember meeting you right when you were starting, right? You know, sort of very early in your tenure as you uh, took up the baton and uh, enlarged your portfolio at the firm. So before we talk more about your role and your job, could you tell us a little bit about the firm for people who aren't familiar with it? Yeah, so Hush Blackwell is an industry-focused firm, um, and so um, it's a little bit different setup than some other firms. So we actually are divided up into strategic business units. So the ultimate focus of our attorneys is sort of getting to be experts in a particular industry. Um, And then within that industry group of experts, um, they are divided up a little bit more traditionally as firms typically are into practice specialties. Um, but so the overall reaching goal of the firm is to be industry focused. Um, so that's kind of what, what drives us and leads us. Um, we have a little over 700 lawyers uh, across 18 different offices. Um, I think we're in nine different states. And then we also have an office in the Washington, D.C. area, in your, your area. So, um, yeah, we have a pretty big footprint, although we're primarily mostly in the um, Midwest regions. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about your role at the firm. You mentioned you're the director of pro bono services. How do you spend your time? 
Yeah, so this is an interesting one, and I think as as many people have heard on your podcast in the past, and being a, a listener of your podcast, I certainly heard this on numerous occasions as well. Is that, you know, every day is different, um, which is just I think keeps this job fresh and exciting and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so most of my time is spent administering the pro bono program. Um, so this includes opening and approving uh, new pro bono cases. Uh, recruiting attorneys and paralegals to work on those cases, um, and then working hand-in-hand with our firm leadership to promote and encourage pro bono engagement. Um, I spend quite a bit of my time also building relationships with legal services providers um, across the Hushback Wall footprint um, so that we have sort of a a pipeline for what's going on um, in the access to justice arena in our local areas so that I can try to connect our attorneys to those opportunities. So you mentioned um, getting paralegals involved. How do you get paralegals involved and what do they do to help advance your pro bono efforts? So a lot of uh, the paralegal work that we do is that just, uh, you know, as they would work on any other cases, um, certainly our paralegals are just as committed and interested in getting engaged on our pro bono cases as our attorneys are. So I really try to find ways to make sure that we're engaging them as well. Um, And so most of it's in in a support role for our attorneys, whether it's, you know, organizing documents and pleadings, um, you know, maintaining records for nonprofits that they're filing their tax uh, exempt paperwork and, you know, all that kind of stuff that they do yearly and that kind of stuff, keeping everybody on track. So they do a great job of just supporting our trial teams and, and attorneys in, in various ways. So so as I listen to um, how you spend your time, there are a lot of different aspects and elements to your job. And I'm sure your to-do list is long <laughs> and there are <laughs> items on it that are always a challenge to get to. Is Are there... Um, things, either practical tasks or aspirational goals that you wish you could be doing more of? Um, Yeah, you know, I wish I could be doing a lot more of just the indirect connections uh, with our attorneys, you know, making that so much more of um, the time I spend during my day. It's obviously part of my day, getting to know what our attorneys are passionate about, what types of pro bono projects they want to work on, and then working to find the perfect pro bono opportunity for them to meet that passion, to meet that interest. So I would love it if um, I could be doing so much more of that, a bigger portion of my day. Um, And I think part of it right now is just, you know, going with the administration and management of the program also involves things like regularly checking of hours and, and working with supervisors and staffing of cases and all of the very important things that also go into this job. Um, but yeah, so if I had a wish list of something I would be able to do a lot more would be just sort of really working one-on-one with our attorneys to find them exactly what it is they're passionate about and then how to get them engaged in, in doing that pro bono work and making a difference. Yeah, it's a super valuable effort, but it takes a lot of time. So it's very <laughs> yes, time especially intensive. With, mm-hmm. Especially with 700 some lawyers. So yeah. it's, it's on my radar and something I, I try to do every single day. So tell me what you enjoy most about your job. What are the favorite things that you get to do? 
You know, I think my favorite thing is really just seeing how pro bono has impacted our attorneys. I mean, certainly from the quote we talked about earlier, it feeds my soul, right? I know the the difference pro bono work has made in my life. Um, and so being able to see other attorneys experience some of that as well and and just grow in their own careers, whether they call me because they had this great opportunity to argue, uh, you know, uh, an oral argument in front of the Seventh Circuit Um and they want to be an appellate lawyer and getting that opportunity right away early on in their career. Um, and just the excitement that comes through the attorney's voice. Cause I was able to help this person, but I also got this great experience. And, um, you know, knowing that it's also making such a significant impact on others' lives. Um, it's whether it's the clients that we're serving or it's our attorneys that are getting these great experiences and are, are feeling the rewards from doing the work. It's, I think that's one of my favorite just aspects of what I get to do. So piggybacking on that, the uh, enjoyment, the satisfaction that you see in having the attorneys and others at the firm have great experiences, how do you make the case, right? What have you found works best to incentivize and encourage lawyers at the firm to do pro bono work, especially people who maybe haven't uh, gotten involved so far? Do you have any tricks or tips that you've found to be especially effective? Yeah, so I think there's a couple different areas that I've tried to sort of do to incentivize some of the pro bono work. Um, ultimately, I think one of the, the areas is really just trying to highlight the wonderful professional development skills, uh, in particular, our, long, our young lawyers gain from doing pro bono. I think that helps to incentivize the younger lawyers to get involved because um, they, they are. They're excited to get that chance to take or defend depositions, to go to court early on and really have direct client work um, so early on in their careers. And so just to be able to highlight those stories and this great professional development skills they're getting out of that um, and, and, you know, making sure I'm communicating with their supervisors that they got to do this and this is what they learned from it and this is how they felt, you know, just being able to share those experiences. Um, working with them to highlight this great pro bono work they're getting to do, whether it's in, you know, articles in local bar journals for them, um, highlighting their work through, you know, numerous pro bono awards that are available throughout the country, you know, so that they're getting that recognition um, for this great work that they're doing. I think another great way that I'm able to incentivize some of our lawyers is we have some um, firm leaders who just are very passionate about pro bono work and make it a very big part of their own careers here. And so highlighting the fact that, you know, for example, our office managing um, partner for our Omaha office, um, both the one who, you know, just left that role uh, and the person who was just appointed to that role, both of those partners at our firm, uh, very busy partners, um, but made pro bono both part of their careers. And so to see that and to, to show firm-wide, not only is this great for our young associates, um, you know, our partners are, are taking the initiative and being part of this program. And so I think that incentivizes the rest of our, our group to get on board um, and so it's certainly a struggle because it doesn't work for everybody. And so trying to figure out what what's going to get everybody engaged is, is something I'm working on. But ultimately seeing these great examples of attorneys, young and, and experienced, I almost said old, <laughs> young and experienced, um, doing this work is just, I think, the biggest way that we can really encourage others that um, 
to, to get engaged because it certainly makes a huge difference to our clients. And thank you for mentioning leadership's role because I think firm leadership plays a, a critical aspect to uh, running and administering and having uh, a successful law firm pro bono program. Um, what are some, we talked a little bit about time and um, having to make priorities and decisions, but what are some of the other greatest challenges for you in your role? Yeah, so I think the biggest challenge I have right now is just overall, you know, ways to increase um, firm engagement in the pro bono program. Um, we have wonderful support here at the firm for um, pro, our pro bono program um, from the highest levels. Um, and with that support, um, I would love to see us have just that much more engagement. Um, and, you know, as many of us know, attorneys are busy. And so finding time, even for those busiest attorneys uh, and matching them with just the right pro bono opportunity that fits their interest and fits their time avail availability, I think is one way I can sort of attack that challenge. But certainly that's my biggest challenge right now is um, how do I get that much more engagement across the firm? You know, we've got the people who are extremely committed and, and raise their hand often, but um, how do I reach those people that maybe have never taken on a pro bono case and, and encourage them to do so? So, Speaking of across the firm, you mentioned that the firm has 18 offices. By the time this episode airs, maybe it'll be 19, 20, right? <laughs> who knows? How do you manage them all from Kansas City? Yeah, so that is quite tricky. Um, my first year here, I spent quite a bit of my time just traveling uh, amongst our offices and, and getting to know those attorneys, getting to know the um, local legal services entities and um, access to justice committees or commissions or whatever it may be in those local areas um, and building those relationships early on. So there was quite a bit of travel in my first year, just like I said, getting to, getting to know uh, my colleagues, getting to know the legal environment in those areas. So that had a lot to do with it. Um, on my wish list is actually implementing a pro bono liaison program, which would have an attorney in um, our local offices that's sort of responsible for helping to recruit um, and engage and encourage pro bono at that local level. I think that's going to be um, really helpful, especially since I'm trying to um, kind of develop and lead this program from Kansas City. I obviously can't be everywhere where we have our, our offices. And so having somebody that understands you know, what might be happening in Denver, which is going to be very different than what's going on in Chattanooga um, or Madison, Wisconsin, or you know some of the other places that we're at. And so having that local uh, liaison, I think it's going to be pretty key to helping that. Um, we certainly have some attorneys who've taken that upon their initiative uh, and have done that on their own. And, and we're seeing some success in our pro bono work in those offices where that's happened. So I hope and hope to just sort of um, expand upon that in a very strategic way moving forward. Great. So listeners, stay tuned. We'll have Margaret back to talk about the firm's liaison program when it is up and running. And she's got some best practices and tips for us on that front. Um, 
I want to kind of deep dive a little into Kansas City. I have such happy memories of our law firm project trip to Kansas City. Um, so I want to reminisce in my mind. Um, will you talk a little bit about the pro bono and access to justice culture there? What's going on? What are the most pressing legal needs? What have you seen change and evolve? What, what's going on in the community? Yeah, so, you know, Kansas City is just, it's a very philanthropic city, and it's so wonderful to be part of the pro bono the pro bono community here because it's certainly no exception to that. Um, I know a number of my uh, Kansas City colleagues have mentioned this on the, po the podcast before um, in that Kansas City has a unique local role. So if you are an attorney here and you practice, you have an office in Kansas City, specifically Jackson County, um, or you live in Jackson County, you're automatically added to this juvenile court abuse, neglect, and delinquency appointment court appointment list. Um, so as a result, most of the large firms here in Kansas City have had a dedicated pro bono attorney that specializes in this work, and they've had somebody in that role for a very long time. So um, they, Kansas City just continued, I think, to uh, expand sort of that pro bono um, <clears throat> uh, in, engagement here in the city. Um, to much other different areas because obviously Kansas City, like many of our other places, does have access to justice issues, issues uh, and there's still a great need for attorneys to volunteer to help close that justice, um, justice gap. Um, I think in 2017, there was still nearly 20% of Missourians who were below 125% of the federal poverty level and as many of us know, um, they face such numerous legal needs. And so there's certainly a lot of legal needs still out there. I would say in Kansas City, we see a lot of what you see everywhere else um, from domestic violence and people who need orders for protection from um, guardianships to landlord tenant types cases. Um, yeah, so it's, it's just a wide range, uh, and I don't think anything's necessarily purely unique to Kansas City. Um, I think we experience quite a few of these same uh, access to justice issues across the country. Um, I think in Kansas City, we have, uh, at least on the, the pro bono side of things, uh, we have an, a very close group of pro bono professionals who I think you were able to meet, most of us, if not all of us, <laughs> when you were here, when PBA, PBI did their uh, Kansas City visit a few years ago, and then uh, the St. Louis visit we had right after I started. Um, so we've got, most of us are located here in Kansas City that are part of this group. We have two that we've adopted from the St. Louis area, um, and then one who actually is with a firm that's headquartered out of Chicago, uh, but happens to live here, so she's been a great addition to our group. And so um, we collaborate on such a great level uh, to sort of fill this pro bono um, this access to justice gap that's here in Kansas City. You know, in my experience of being an attorney, law firms tend to be very competitive nature, right? We're vying for clients. We're vying for the key projects and work. And so it's it's much more competitive. Um, but in the pro bono world, there's such a great need. Uh, and this just gives us a chance to come together uh, to address those legal needs um, for the most disadvantaged in our communities um, in a very different collaborative and great, great way. It's a very supportive network. And I'm um, so honored to be part of this group here. Yeah, that's great. I definitely think that Kansas City 
St. Louis extended community is a great example of what we think of as competitors in the marketplace and collaborators in pro bono. Um, so Margaret, you are a regular and loyal listener of the podcast. We love that. So you probably know that we have a relatively new segment called Tell Us About Your First Time. So could you tell us about one of your first or one of your early pro bono matters? Yes. So um, it's certainly not my first uh, because I, I had some under that court rule I'd mentioned earlier, some abuse and neglect cases, um, which were really my first uh, pro bono experiences as an attorney. But I want to talk about the one that really impacted me the most. Um, and this one came up within a few years of my practice, uh, maybe about year four or five. Um, I was asked by Legal Aid of Western Missouri through their Voluntary Attorney Project to take on a probo uh, probate matter, uh, specifically a determination of airship. Um, at the time, and really still today, you know, I knew ab next to nothing about probo pro probate cases. I want to say pro bono, and so it's hard to like, yeah, go back and say yeah. probate. Um, for probate, you know, I, I was an environmental lawyer, uh, had never been to probate court, didn't know anything about their forms and, and the kind of stuff that went into that, uh, but certainly had um, a mentor through legal aid. Um, I also have a friend here in Kansas City that specializes in elder law. Um, and when I mentioned, hey, I've got this probate case, can you kind of guide me through how this works? Um, she was just a, a great sort of mentor for me to get the um, get up to speed to take this on and, and be able to assist the client. Um, it was not a case that had, you know, that was overly complex. It didn't have complex legal issues. Um, it certainly was not a complicated legal matter whatsoever. But that being said, you know, it, it was the whole world to this guy. Uh, he was an elderly gentleman uh, who had moved back home to care for his ailing mother. Um, and after a few years, she passed away. After a few years after that, um, the house was put up on the auction block. And so, you know, this was a, uh, an ability to keep this guy in his house, right? Keep the roof over his head. Um, he was retired. He had an extremely limited um, retirement pension. Um, and so, you know, there wasn't any money to pay a lawyer. There wasn't any money to get him out of this legal legal issue that he was having. And so um, just to be able to work hand in hand with him, you know, providing legal means, but it was also providing support, you know, going with him down to um, the county city hall and saying this paperwork's not right, do it again, you know, like just a little, a little bit more handholding than I think we do for our other clients um, really made the day. And, and just one quick story related to this. In one of our client meetings, um, it happened to be on the same day that the firm was having its fancy holiday party. And we had great views of Kansas City, great food, great music. It just was, it was a, a party, great social um, atmosphere. And so at, after we finished our meeting, I said, please grab yourself some food, enjoy some music, you know, get a drink if you'd like a drink, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, you're our client. You're welcome to be part of this. And, and he just thought, you mean I can actually partake in all of this? <laughs> As if, like, I don't belong here because I'm not a paying client. And I reassured him, um, you know, that he was welcome and just to see his face light up that, wow, you throw such a great party just for me, <laughs> you know, and it just was, it, it made the whole experience so enjoyable. But at the whole, at the end of this case, 
um, you know, the man was crying, gave me this huge hug as we walked out of probate court. And he just said, you've helped me keep stay in my house, right? I still have a place to live because of your work and was crying and gave me this huge hug. And I'll never forget that. And I think how often do our clients give us hugs, you know, and to be part of that and to be part of something that was just relatively easy for me to do, but such a significant impact on his life um, ultimately sort of guided me to how I ended up making this uh, a focus of my career today. Yeah, making a real difference in someone's lives, right? Using your legal skills and your talents to really help someone. I love the other undercurrent of your story, um, the holiday party, which is very much about treating our pro bono clients in a similar way to our uh, corporate clients, right? If, if, if some are invited, others are invited as well. And our best practices are transferable and that we're not giving sort of second class treatment or we're not taking shortcuts. And I know that we do a lot of writing and thinking about that. And I think that hospitality uh, doubles down and reinforces that message as well. Yes, absolutely. So could you share some other examples of pro bono matters that have been particularly meaningful to you, either that you've handled or that other people at the firm have been working on that you're excited and interesting to share? Yeah. So, you know, we've got some really interesting ones that I think our firm has been able to take on over the years, or at least that I've been able to see in the year and a half that I've been here. Um, one of which was a court-appointed case um, where our attorneys were asked to represent uh, the family <clears throat> of an Iraqi war veteran um, who came back from Iraq and had pretty severe PTSD um, and ultimately committed suicide. Um, and so in this case, we it, it was alleged that there was um, negligent medical care provided to this veteran. And so really the family was seeking support to re help raise this veteran's children, but also Trish trying to make some changes so that other veterans didn't get the same level of care, right, to prevent this problem from happening in, our, in the future. And so our attorneys just hit the ground running with this case. Um, it was a senior counsel and then two younger associates, and they were able to do expert depositions and discovery and, you know, all of that kind of stuff that we would expect. But they were also able to try this case uh, in federal court and um, handle experts and handle openings and closings. And, and for these younger attorneys, it just made a, a very huge impact, not only on their professional development, but um, again, on their personal lives. And they were just so happy to be part of that and get the result that they were able to get in that case. So it's it's so great to see this work in action and, and how it uh, helps them grow professionally, but also personally as, as individuals. Um, we've also done other work that you know, in the pro bono world, it's not all warm and fuzzy, right? There's tough cases. Um, and so we've been involved recently uh, with a partnership with the MacArthur Justice Center um, on uh, cases here in Missouri that involve the juveniles' life without parole. Um, and so working with these individuals um, as young adults, um, and I would hate even saying young adults because they truly were juveniles. And there's lots of studies out there that now say, you know, juveniles just haven't developed it the same way. And so to treat them as if 
as if they were adults in in convicting them of uh, these sentences of life without parole um, just doesn't make sense. And and as the Supreme Court has said now, this needs to change. And so working on those cases to give these people the opportunity to have meaningful parole hearings um, has been interesting to see. And our attorneys are are very dedicated on working with them and and trying to make a difference for these, these juveniles who um, have spent quite a bit of time now um, locked up. Um, some other examples of some stuff that have been pretty meaningful to the firm have been, um, so we're part of the Missouri Coalition for the Right to Counsel. This is a group that was um, put together because of burdens people were seeing with the public defender system here, right? And, and we all have seen that uh, in many, many different cities. Um, our public defenders are underfunded and they're overworked and and oftentimes the people that get hurt by that are people who are convicted of a crime and, and maybe aren't getting the best and greatest legal defense for that. Um, and so private firms and private attorneys volunteered to help take on those cases. Uh, the public defender's office put together an amazing training to support attorneys who, you know, don't practice in the criminal law arena and to provide them with the support and guidance and, and that kind of stuff in taking on these cases. And so we've taken on a few of these criminal cases um, and our attorneys have just really enjoyed um getting to handle these and in fact you know they come in with just boxes and boxes of stuff and have had the court clerk say you know this is a criminal case right not a civil case and and our attorneys have said yes and we are ready to go and and they're just excited to try those cases and get the trial experience in particular and and um to see the excitement they're having um just gaining those opportunities has been fun we had a really great session at our conference on um this effort in missouri and it's such a great program i i hope that it will be able to be replicated (laughs) around the country Uh, they've done such a great job and the law firms are just really doing amazing work um and it's it's such a great collaboration Yeah. I I know our team certainly have really enjoyed it. Um, We usually staff these cases with three three attorneys, um, a partner and then, um, or a partner, a senior counsel, and then um, two different levels of associates. Uh, And the goal is really just to provide that professional development that comes from that, but also the mentoring with having a case team set up this way. And by having three people on it, the goal is also to try to balance out the work so that the burden burden of all the pro bono work doesn't just fall on one person, right? They can really tackle the strategy of the, the case with all three of them um, and work through it. So it's been really kind of fun to see that program develop. That's great. Did you have any others you wanted to share before we talked about something else? I didn't want to cut you off if there were other projects or activities you wanted to share? Yeah, I mean, I think those are the, the main ones. Obviously, the firm also has um, a human trafficking clinic. I, I think it's probably, and I don't know if it was the first, but one of the first of the programs like this in the country. Um, and we work closely with survivors of, of human trafficking. Um, and just they have so many different types of, you know, legal issues that come up through that. Um, and so we're able to work with them, um, whether it's expungement or 
landlord tenant issues or debt issues or you know it's just the whole range of legal issues that they have is huge so we're able to work pretty closely with them and there's a lot of um, pride our firm has in in that program in particular thank you for sharing that so we've talked a lot about professional development and mentoring and it's spring almost summer almost summer associate season Could you share some advice for law students uh, and lawyers who are just starting their careers? Yes, I'm so glad that you asked that, actually. Um, I'm pretty excited about a program we have here in particular for our summer associates that's um, a pro bono competition. Uh, We actually started it last year, so this is the second year because we had so much fun with it. And, And I think the advice I would give is, you know, if, if you're truly passionate about pro bono and, and giving back to communities and, and being sort of a, somebody that's committed to that, um, which we hear this over and over again from our law schools and our law students, is that that's important to them, right? Um, so when you come into a firm, you know, engage in that work. Find out, you know, if the firm has somebody like me who's kind of leading the pro bono department, talk to them, um, get names of attorneys and projects that are doing pro bono work and, you know, figure out ways that you can get involved with that. But as I think early on in our careers, if you make that an important part of your practice, you'll continue that on um, throughout your career. Uh, Two prime examples of that at Hush Last year, we were able to um, implement, actually, the Hush Blackwell Pro Bono uh, Champion Award. Uh, And the two people that we gave that to are senior counsel. They've had long storied careers here at the firm, just very distinguished attorneys. Um, And they made pro bono part of their practice when they were young, brand new attorneys. You know, whether it was them walking down across the street to the local legal aid, you know, 40 years ago, whatever the case may be, and saying, I would like to help, you know, I work at this firm down the street, I would like to volunteer my time, and, and just getting engaged really early on. And, and that drove sort of their um, practice throughout the years. And they always found ways, whether they were really, really busy, they found ways to make pro bono part of their practice early on. And so I think when you come in the door, whether you're a summer associate uh, or a first year associate, whatever the case may be, you know, engage in what you're passionate about. And I think then you're going to have that much more reward that comes with it because you know you're making a difference and you know you're, you're truly helping people. That's great advice. So switching gears, Margaret, if you had a magic wand, what one thing would you change about law firm pro bono or access to justice? Oh, shoot. Um, I don't know. I think I need a big wand. Yeah, for more wishes, (laughs) right? For more wishes, yeah. Um, I think uh, there's probably a few things that I'd like to change. Um, And I think it's sort of twofold, right? I think we need, well, threefold. I just thought of a third. Um, So one, I think you start with additional funding for legal services. Uh, And I think that's because, you know, legal services entities really are at the heart of connecting those who need access to justice the most with our actual legal system, right? So by providing the support that's needed to make sure legal services entities can run and and identify the needs in their areas, um, I think is key. I think the next part of that then goes into making sure we have attorneys engaged in that, right? So it can't just all be 
legal services entities, we need the volunteer lawyers to step up and say, okay, I want to help. Um, I will help legal aid or I'll help a nonprofit or whatever the case may be that they're volunteering to take that on. So I've, I don't think you can have one without the other, right? Um, and then the third, I think I would add to this is, you know, maybe trying to figure out ways that we can make true systemic changes in our legal communities. So right now, our legal work, and especially on the pro bono front, is very reactive in nature, right? Um, Landlord-tenant issues. We're dealing with problem landlords um, not maintaining, you know, their facilities to have a safe and habitable environment for the tenants. Um, so instead of always just being reactive and, and going to court and, and making sure that tenant um, has access to justice and, and fighting the landlord or whatever the case may be, you know, really working with our cities on ways to provide um, better housing and whether it's punishment programs for landlords that just are subpar, whether it's sort of changing the legal system so that it's more um, uh, preventative as opposed to reactive, I think has to be part of the conversation as well. Well, you've made incredibly effective use of your magic wand, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's end with this. Who is your pro bono or access to justice role model? And maybe you have more than one, and that would be totally cool. Okay. Yeah, so this is probably the hardest question <laughs> I feel like I've had to answer all day. <laughs> and it's in part, right, how do you, how do you pick just one? Um, and so I think I, I'm going to start with... Um, the biggest role models that have really impacted me sort of as I've been navigating this new world of pro bono and, and um, how to administer, develop, and implement a program are my Kansas City, St. Louis colleagues, right? Katie Cronin, Michelle Clarity, Jenny Swindleman, who you highlighted earlier, uh, Kate Nolan, Jolie Justice, Sandy Wartell, Kimberly McLean. You know, they really have been instrumental in giving me guidance as I've transitioned from active practice into this role. And so without them and without their support, I think it would have been a lot more stressful, a lot more. It's just, you know, they really were sort of um, collaborating with me and holding me up and giving me just wonderful advice. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention them and especially mention them first because they were a, a big influence for me. Um, I think ultimately when I think of people who I've really looked up to when it comes to this idea of access to justice and, and pro bono role models, um, another significant role model to me would certainly be uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, you know, she's ultimately a role model for all women, I think, because of her work that she did um, really fighting for women's rights, gender equality, and, and really making some significant um, changes that she did as a pioneer in that area. And certainly it wasn't just her. There were so many people that fit into that category as well. Um, but growing up in a family with four brothers, you know, my parents always encouraged all of us, but specifically me, you know, in this world, it doesn't matter whether you're a boy or girl, you can be whatever you want, right? Like the, the future's bright um, and go out there and get it. And so just having somebody like uh, Justice Ginsburg who made those strides before me that allowed us to sort of continue and, and move forward and have those dreams was, was just a significant role model. Um, and then I'm also inspired by attorneys like Brian Stevenson, who's dedicated his career to helping the poor, working to um, fight wrongfully incarcerated 
um, individuals and, and just sort of that dedicated work that goes into sort of innocence projects and innocence work um, that have been a big part of his career. So certainly those are kind of the, the three main buckets of, of access to justice role models that I've, that I've had over my career. Margaret, that's awesome. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Uh, it's been such an inspiring conversation. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure to be here and to move from act, um, regular listener of the podcast to now participant. So, Great. Thank you. Thank you so much to Margaret for making the time to be with us and for all the great work she's doing. Hey, listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, feedback, and suggestions to our new email address, lawfirm at probonoinst.org. New and archived episodes of the podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already and take a minute to leave a review. It's quick and easy to do. We'd appreciate the feedback and it would help make it easier for other listeners to find the show and expand the conversation about pro bono and access to justice. And we might just send you some swag in return. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Pro Bono Happy Hour.